listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I want to thank everybody for joining us. We're recording this in the middle of May of 2022. If you're listening to it in the future, um, this is the time when the pandemic started disappearing and uh, people were starting to ramp up and spend more time out in the outdoors and hunting and fishing and just uh, hiking and enjoying what uh, the uh, United States and, and all of its different uh, geographic locations have to offer to sportsmen and uh, um, just nature lovers in general. Today's uh, interview is going to be a great one. Um, it's um, a gentleman that uh, is local to where I live in the, in the state of Oregon. He's out of Philomath, Oregon. He's been guiding for a number of years. He's also a uh, fly fishing instructor for Oregon State University, Go Beavs. And uh, without further ado, uh, Dylan, are you there? I'm here. Go Beavs. <laughs> Go Beavs. That's exactly yeah. right. Well, Dylan, um, in, in regards to your experience of fishing in Oregon and in particular kind of the the central coastal area of Oregon how long have you been doing that yeah that's a good question so I actually started my guide service in 2017 uh-huh. so I guess I'm kind of coming up on the five-year mark of, of owning and operating my my own guide service here um, in the central Oregon area, central Oregon coast. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I've been fishing in the area for about 12 years. I mean, I grew up salmon and steelhead fishing in California. And when our runs kind of took a downturn, um, and I ended up coming up here to go to college at Oregon State, I just really fell in love with uh, the fishing in this area, which was, it, it is quite phenomenal. Um, so. I have a lot of fun with it. One of the big things for me is that I grew up doing a lot of ocean fishing for salmon mm-hmm. and moving to this area. And now most of the, the guiding and the trips that I do are primarily, you know, in river or river mouth type fishing. Right. And so it's very different. I've had a lot of fun, you know, learning and, and trying out all these new techniques over the last decade and, and some change. Um, and then also, you know, bringing some of the stuff that I learned as a kid, ocean salmon fishing, and bringing some of that knowledge um, into the, you know, the river fishing world. So kind of bringing a different perspective. Right, right. So, well, yeah. well and, and this area is sort of a hidden gem, is it not? I mean, it doesn't have the, uh, you know, the, the, the press of like going to Kenai, Alaska or up in Canada, but the fishing can be just as good here in the um, kind of the middle Willamette Valley coastal area. I mean, with all the rivers that we've got, uh, you know, we've got the, what, the Alsea and and the Aquina and, uh, you know, the Salettes and the San Ams and the Willamette, I think I said the McKinsey, uh, the Umpqua, and the list goes on and on. I mean, it's uh, just a cornucopia, if you may, of different yeah. types of rivers of fish. I don't think there could be a more accurate statement than what you just said. And I think this area is very underappreciated. I was very fortunate. I got to guide in several areas of Alaska, ocean fish and river fish, and, you know, see all this great fishing. 
Um, and Alaska does have phenomenal fishing. Uh, but when it comes to king salmon or Chinook salmon specifically, mm-hmm. I really think this area takes the cake. I mean, it just has phenomenal Chinook fishing. And a lot of times people would even ask me, you know, when I was guiding them up in Alaska, like, oh, we really want to catch a king salmon. Most people call them kings up there versus here we call them Chinook, right? Right, right. Sure, you've caught that. And um, I'm like, honestly, you'd have a better chance of getting kings or chinook if you just come down and fish a day with me in the fall <laughs> in the central oregon coast area versus you know spending five six sometimes up almost ten thousand dollars on a remote alaskan experience right um you know maybe you get one or two chinook mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um just depending on the either the regulation or just you know some of the runs some in some areas are depleted so <laughs> you, you know it's funny you talk about the the kings and chinook are actually you know, the same fish, and, and they really are. I was out of the area, and, and I won't uh, uh, mention the restaurant that I was in, but the waiter came on over, and uh, we asked if they had any specials, and he goes, you bet we have a special. We have a fresh Alaska King Chinook salmon. <laughs> and I'm going, King Chinook? He goes, yep, it's King Chinook salmon. You don't find this very often. Well, yeah, you're right. And we, we kind of went round with him, you know, about uh, is there really a difference between a king Chinook and just a Chinook? And, oh, of course there is. These are the kings of the Chinook. It was really it was really funny that uh, he was kind of mixed up, you know. When, uh, yeah, well, I can well tell as... you, if, if that exists, I already want to catch it. But <laughs> I don't think it does. <laughs> so true. So fishing in this area as much as you do, Dylan, what are the different species of fish that are available? Yeah. So there's several different, at least when it comes to salmon, right? Several different salmon species. Um, not only is there Chinook or, or King salmon, I'll just, I'm just going to call them Chinook from now on. Cause that's sure. usually what I, I go by. Um, not only, so there's Chinook salmon and there's Coho salmon, but when it comes to Chinook, there's, two main runs that we fish and we have a spring run which kind of depending on where you're out in the states already already underway in my area it still hasn't really kicked on honestly it's more of like a late may june early july fishery mm-hmm. and then we have another run of chinook that happens in the fall and that's we call it the fall run of right. chinook um and that usually opens august 1st and then runs through Technically, the season closes at the end of December, but usually by Thanksgiving, so middle November, November 20th, 25th, um, you know, we're wrapping up our season. Uh-huh. Um, the cool thing about that fall run of Chinook is, or that fall run of salmon, is that not only do we get Chinook salmon, but we also get coho salmon or silver salmon. Uh-huh. And so that's one of the reasons that for me, the fall run is much more exciting a much more exciting fishery because you can catch two different species of salmon. Um, And a lot of times that means, you know, just more fish hooked Mm -hmm. and fought and landed throughout the day. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the differences between those two, um, you know, species of salmon is the Chinook run a little bit bigger than the silvers. And what's really interesting to me is that the, the, the Chinook and the silvers, Fight a little, little differently, don't they? 
Yeah, big time. I mean, not only is there a size difference, like you said, the Chinook being bigger and in some cases significantly bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fight, the Chinook, I mean, they're the bulldog, right? Down, they hang down deep. They'll take long runs. Um, the fight can last a long time just because they're powerful. They know how to use the river and the currents to their advantage. Mm-hmm. And then the coho are more acrobatic. And they're jumping and kind of rolling or turning, sometimes kind of jumping and cartwheeling out of the water. Um, and, and they're much smaller in size compared to most Chinooks. So mm-hmm. a lot of times I can actually tell, you know, in that first period of time, 30, 40 seconds into the fight, whether you have a, a Chinook or a Koho, which I'm sure sometimes people don't like when they're on my boat. You know, they want a Chinook, and I'm like, oh, I think that's a Koho, right? It's just not exactly what they want to hear. But. Right, right. I'll be, I'll be darned. So, so why, yeah. why are the the Chinook bigger in the fall than they are in the spring? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly why, like from a, a scientific standpoint. Um, I do think it has something to do with the shorter migration. So like in the springtime, our, our spring Chinook, they migrate 150 to 300 miles in and around that range, depending on the river they're going to. Whereas in the fall, those fish are migrating 15 to maybe 30 or 40 or 50 miles, much shorter. Right. So I think they can be a little bit bigger and, and, you know, because they don't have quite as far to travel. Um, That's, that's the only reason or thought. Now, <laughs> I'd be really interested to hear an actual biologist outlook on it, but you know, right. that's, that's my opinion. Right. Right. Well, you, you know, and, and then the other thing is really unique about the fall uh, salmon here in Oregon is the fall salmon don't run exactly at the same time um, on every river. And, and that's been really an allure to my, to me is 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 finding out what river they're running on and that lasts for gosh it's it can be months can it not um and uh you know what you know when you were catching uh, salmon let's say in the selets and and that run may have turned off but then the umqua turns on and that's only a you know hour and a half drive away yeah and you know honestly that's one of the biggest factors that come into play um, for me, planning trips and communicating and talking to my guests, you know, about the time frame that they want to come and fish with me. Uh-huh. So, and that's again where it really comes into play, or it's really nice to go out with a local guide that's you know fishing these rivers a lot, and they can kind of know and understand those timings. Because realistically, sometimes a week, one way or the other, um, can make a big difference. Okay. You know, and I've had weeks. Like especially on the Al Sea, where the tides play a really big factor in the fishing, um, and then the timing in the you know the time of the year where you know one week we're scratching out some fish, you know it's tough fishing one or two fish here and there, and then the next week we're getting you know limits every day. Mm-hmm. And so you know the big difference there wasn't the area we were fishing or the skill of the anglers or the bait or anything like that. It was literally just the time of the moment. Right. Right. Yeah. And so for me, the way I kind of factor all that in 
is I have, you know, certain rivers and then certain sections of rivers that I fish based on the time of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, that's not to say like, okay, if I hear I know about a really hot bite somewhere else, you know, then I'm not going to go fish there, right? I'm always flexible and open and I communicate and talk with other anglers and, you know, know about stuff going on. But usually these fall Chinook are very predictable in their migration. And so I'll kind of break my fishing windows down into early in the season and in August and September and into maybe the first week of October, I'm fishing, you know, the river mouth or two to three miles upstream um, on the Al Sea mm-hmm. and employing different tactics that work on fish fresh out of the ocean, you know, so use it trolling with herring or spinners and flashers. Um, stuff that's going to elicit a strike from a, a fresh fish out of the salt water. Right. And and you have a special kind of boat for that, do you not? Yeah, I have a, a it's called a sled. And, you know, if anybody listening has fished or been spent any time in the Northwest, they're probably familiar with what these are. Mm-hmm. It's just an open aluminum boat. And I actually, I run a, a jet outboard on mine, so I can run pretty shallow water, uh-huh. which actually is nice fishing certain some of these rivers and bays in the fall because you will have to drive across really shallow sand flats Uh um, to access the fishing location so that's one of the reasons i really like running that and uh yeah that boat's set up just all open pure fishing platform i like to call it you know it doesn't have a top or any frills but um it's very effective at trolling and and bobber fishing for sand Right, and and um, just to give the listeners a little idea of the size of that boat, um, it it what is it twenty three, twenty four foot is what you run. Yeah, it's um like just under twenty one foot. Got it. So yeah, my boat is a little bit on the the smaller side compared to maybe some other sleds that guys are running, mm-hmm. but predominantly I'm fishing small rivers. Oh, you know the LC. And I know you're familiar with that river. You've been on it. Sure. It's not a big river. You know, you don't need a big 23 or 25 or 26 foot sled. No, no um, most of the time. Yeah, yeah. And and you fish. You fish the uh, incoming tide. Is that what you generally fish? Or, uh, yeah, that's a good up? question. So when we're fishing Chinook. You know, there's different tides that work better. Typically, early in the year, August, September. Um, when that tide's incoming, that's when the, the fresh fish are coming in out of the ocean, riding that tide in. And mm-hmm. then also, you know, there's Alsea strange Chinook coming upstream, but there's also California, uh, Southern Oregon and Southern Oregon fish from the Umpqua, the Rogue, um, Sacramento River in California, the Klamath River, that as they're kind of migrating south will dip in and out with that with that tide right Mm -hmm. and so creates a a great fishing time because you have all sea river fish coming in and all these other salmon coming in um and moving you know up river a little bit those salmon are going to realize hey this isn't my native stream they're going to turn around they're going to go back out right but in doing that you know we're positioning ourselves there fishing um so that they're going to want to eat you know one of our herring or, or whatever you know we're fishing, mm-hmm. usually herring. And, you know, it can be a really, really productive way 
um, to catch those bigger Chinook. Right, right. And, yeah. and typically you said that time of year, you're trolling, is that right? Yeah, trolling. Um, so, you know, just a big lead weight in between 10 and 16 ounces, five to six foot leader, a two hook rig with a cut plug herring on it. And it's really that simple. It's nothing fancy or crazy um, or, you know, it's not some, you know, lure, some secret lure. It's just a, a bait and a weight. Got it. Got it. So, you know, what once, uh, you know, once, let's say, October comes around, how how different of, uh, of a way of fishing for the Chinook are you doing? Obviously, the fish are a little bit further up the river. And so do you use different techniques and that sort of thing? that far up yeah so the main change that occurs is that as you get kind of later in the season um more of the fish have kind of migrated into the river right Mm -hmm. and they've kind of moved up into what we call a tidewater stretch so you have tidal flow back and forth it's not just free flowing river right and in and around october those fish are staging up there waiting for that first big rain and then they're going to shoot upstream and spawn. Mm-hmm. And so as those fish are waiting there, you know, they're just not quite as keyed in on biting baits like, like a herring um, or something that reminds them of feed out in the ocean. And so for me personally, what I transitioned to is using a technique called bobber fishing. And this is a very effective technique, especially on the right tides where you use a slip bobber slides on your line mm-hmm. you have a stop you can adjust the depth then you have a weight and off that weight you have a you know two to four foot leader to a, a big hook three odd four odd five odd hook and at the end of that i'll fish cured salmon eggs or some sort of mix or a lot of times we call it a cocktail or hey salmon mm-hmm. eggs sand shrimp and maybe a piece of fish like a sardine or herring or tuna or something like that right and you know as those fish are kind of staging in tide water this is a great way to trick them into biting because the eggs are cured with different chemicals mm-hmm. sulfide or nitride or you know there's tons of different stuff that go in these egg cures those salmon crave chemicals as they're transitioning from salt water to fresh water oh, and okay. we're tricking them into biting it so that can be a really effective technique into October and even into into November. Usually the big factor there is the water temperature. You know, you want a little bit cooler water and that, that salmon egg bite can really kick off. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me personally, that's my favorite kind of fishing because it's very hands-on. People really get a kick out of watching that bobber. I mean, you got to imagine, right? You're in this big section of tide water the river is moving back and forth and you're watching your little bobber float down it looks like you know you're bluegill fishing mm-hmm. you see it go down you reel down and you set the hook and you got a 20 pound chinook on the end of your line <laughs> and i don't know if there's anything more exhilarating than that so so it's a little bit different than a bluegill and it not yeah in fact you know one of the main things that people that have never done this technique and they go out with me um that they kind of struggle with is just setting the hook hard enough, right. To get that hook because to get that hook in the side of the fish's mouth 
um, because they're used to like bobber fishing for bluegill or trout or something where you can just jerk back really quick once right. on your line. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's my experience that you've got so much line out and, and uh, you've got a big bow in it that if you don't reel, reel up and, and take up a lot of that slack before you set the hook, there's just not, not enough pressure on that hook to, uh, you know, to hook the fish. You, you'll feel them, and then as soon as you dip the rod tip any, uh, you know, amount of, 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 of space in there, you know, it'll, it'll just unhook them, and they go away, and you go, what happened there, you know? <laughs> I've seen that happen before, too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, I would use those as learning experiences. And, hey, it doesn't matter how good of a bobber angler you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I've hooked hundreds of fish bobber fishing, and even still, I get a couple each season where I forget to reel up my slack or, right. uh, you know, set the hook too soon. And, and usually that's when I watch my bobber go flying through the air over my head and tangles up in some trees. And, and then my guests laugh at me, you know, so. <laughs> now, now there's a technique called bobber dogging. Is that basically the same thing? Yeah. So that's actually a different technique, but it's similar. Um, it's a similar technique. And the point being, right, you have a slide bobber or slip bobber on your line. With bobber dogging, we're actually fishing where the weight is kicking against the bottom, right? And then you have a buoyant presentation on your leader, and it kind of floats up. So it works great for steelhead where they hang out, you know, one, two feet from the bottom. You want your bait right in that strike zone. Mm-hmm. Um, with these salmon, it's actually kind of interesting. Uh, we want our bait always suspended or above the fish. And there's been a lot of instances where I'm fishing a, a hole or a, or a section of river where I know there's salmon, and maybe it's 10 foot deep, and my bobbers are all set between three and five foot, right? So that those baits are suspended above the fish. Oh, really? Uh, my, yeah, my general rule of thumb is I always start in and around half the depth of the water I'm fishing mm-hmm. and then progressively go deeper. But with salmon, usually if your bait's dragging along the bottom, you're fishing way too deep. And, you know, you're just not going to, I mean, you could catch fish, but not, you're not going to be quite as effective. So, you know, I guess you could distinguish and say, you know, the style of fishing we're doing is, is suspended float fishing. And I've heard people use that term before Mm -hmm. when we're salmon fishing um, versus, you know, bobber dogging or, you know, there's different terms for it where the, where the weight's actually kicking along the bottom. Right. right. So I've actually caught fish. Well, I've only been set, you know, two or three foot deep and, and, you know, it's a 10 foot hole and you, you're, you see your bobber go down and set the hook and you got a salmon on. So wow. sometimes you don't have to be quite as deep as you, as you think, but typically half, half the depth of the water is where I'll start at. Yeah. Got it. And, and where do beads come in on all of this? You hear a lot about bead fishing lately and there's a lot yeah. of that going on here in Oregon. Beads. You know, just a fake round salmon egg, it's, they're so effective for steelhead. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whose idea it was. You know, I think I heard about this a couple of years ago to start using them for salmon um, and using a really big or large size bead. Right. And I was a little skeptical. I, I started trying it two years, three years ago with some varying levels of success honestly i just wasn't very confident in it 
And this last year, I started using them a little bit more because most of the time when we're fishing with cured salmon eggs, right, you know, sometimes they don't stay on the hook very well as you're casting. Right. I'm sure you've experienced this, right? Oh, yeah. Cast, fly right off. So, you know, sometimes if people are having difficulty with that, I'll put these, those fake beads on. Well, this one day we were out and the guy with the fake bead was catching all the fish. Right? <laughs> really? So, you know, as quick as I could, I'm like rigging all the other rods with these fake beads. And ever since then, I started just con- consistently using them. And there were days where it actually outfished eggs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would have never go out without cured eggs and, and only use a bead or a fake salmon egg. But, you know, I've definitely seen that they can be reliable. They're proven. I always, you know, I always have a rod rigged up with one, sometimes two, mm-hmm. um, when I'm going out. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for, for coho. I know we kind of got away from talking about those, but the coho really like eating those those fake salmon eggs, you know. Oh, I'll be darned. Yeah, they're a little bit more of a visual fighter versus Chinook, which can be really driven by scent. Right. Um, so those those salmon eggs are big visual presentation. Got it. Now, now do, yeah. do the Chinook and the coho hang out in the same holes in the same places in the river? I find that there are kind of specific holding water for each. Okay. You know, say like, a, and, you know, maybe people have heard this, or I'm sure you've heard it. You know, you hear the term, oh, yeah, that's a, a big, deep salmon hole or Chinook hole, right? And the thing is, is that those Chinook, they typically like a little bit deeper, slower water, mm-hmm. at least in the fall. Um, whereas the coho, coho are lazy, you know, they want that slower, almost non-moving middle depth type water. Now that's not to say you're not going to catch them in other spots, but you know, that's just kind of my general pattern. So I do catch them in the same sort of, sort of water and out of the same holes, but you know, a lot of times you will have kind of specific coho spots and specific Chinook spots and you'll tailor your approach or your technique. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's say if you're in a coho spot, okay, we're going to grab our rods rigged up with beads or we'll do a lot of jig fishing or twitching, mm-hmm. um, with light spinning rods. And, you know, we'll use those in coho specific areas. And then, you know, when we're into our Chinook spots, we'll switch over and bobber fish with eggs or there's other techniques we'll use like back trolling with quick fish and divers and, and back bouncing, um, that can all be effective when, when we're up in the river. Right, right. Yeah. So at the kind of the end of the season, when the the fish are close, if not in their spawning beds and that sort of thing, is is the fishing, you know, are you fishing a little different in those conditions? Yeah. So kind of coming out of October and in the general pattern, I guess, um, at least the last couple of years, when I first started fishing here, it was a little different because we would get more rain in September. But the last five, six years, usually by middle to end of October, we're getting a lot of heavy rain, right? Right. And so those fish that were staging in tidewater, they start migrating upstream. Mm -hmm. And they're getting upstream to spawn. But also during that time, as the river level's rising, you have fresh fish that kind of show up late to the party, right? Right. And they're not going to stage at the mouth where we were trolling, you know, 
a month and a half, two months ago. They're not going to stage in Tidewater. They're going to boogie straight up river. And so as you get later in the year, and we're fishing further upstream and floating out of the drift boat and not fishing in the sled, you know, we're catching some of these fish that came in in September and October that are they're pretty close to spawning, or some of them are already in the spawning act, and we release those. Uh, but also, we're catching fresh fish that are coming up. You know, I always call them, you know, late to the party. They're coming up and they're looking to spawn, and mm-hmm. they're fresh out of the ocean. They're very aggressive, and they're very good table fare. Really? So, yeah, it, you, know, you can fish all the way through to Thanksgiving. Um, just depending on how good the run is year to year, you know, usually we'll catch nice fresh snook all the way, all the way up until mid to end of November. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I always hear people say, oh, you know, at that point in time, like the fish are all boots or they're all darker fish that aren't, spa- you know, they're spawning. I know boot, that's kind of like a, a pretty common Oregon term, right, for like a, the, the hide or the, the skin is black like leather. Right, you know, right. You would chew on it if you tried to eat it. But, you know, the thing is, you just, you can have great fishing in that time frame. You just have to be selective in the fish you're going to keep, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and opt to turn those darker fish or spawning fish loose and, and try and get some of those nicer fish. And I can, I can show you pictures of fish we've caught middle November that you're like, oh my goodness, that looks like it's fresh out of the ocean um, because they're just swimming straight up out of the ocean quick mm-hmm. to spawn. Um, and they have sea lice, really nice, bright red, orange meat. Right. Now, now that time of year, at least in the uh, bays and estuaries and, and sometimes on the outside also, you have some pretty good crabbing. Do you offer that to your clients? Yeah, we'll do some crabbing um, earlier in the year when we're trolling out at the bays. And usually it is a little bit tide-dependent because there's kind of certain tides that are better for crabbing. Crab, I always try and crab the incoming tide, so the same as salmon fishing, Mm -hmm. or, you know, we're going out to troll. And, you know, if the weather is going to be nice and the tides are right, you know, we will drop crab pots, and that's always a really nice bonus. And September is usually a pretty good time for crabbing. Right. Um, any month that ends in R, right? Mm-hmm. The R or R month. Right, and, right. Um, anytime you can get crab and salmon at the same hall, usually people are pretty pretty pleased. They're so. stoked over that, aren't they? And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and we have Dungeness crab here in the Northwest, which is not as big as the king crab, um, but uh, much bigger than most of the other gra- crabs around the United States. And they are delicious. They yeah, are really and it's got incredible. just a, a great kind of sweet meat or sweet flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, where I fish out of Walport on the mouth of the All Sea, there's a, a little, you know, shack, fishing shack there, and they'll boil boil your crab up right when you get off the boat. Oh, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'll call them. I, I know the owner. I'll call them and say, hey, we got X number of crab coming in. They got the boiler ready. You can sit out there and they'll cook your crab and you can eat it while you look at the, the seagulls <laughs> over the bay. So really? I still, I know one of the things I've actually wanted to try cooking, I haven't done it yet, is uh, salmon, Chinook salmon stuffed with crab. 
So maybe at some point I'll I'll get ambitious enough to do that. Oh, very good. I, you know, I was going to ask you what your favorite recipe is. You have one? You know, one of the main ones that I like to do, and I'm assuming you're asking about Chinook salmon, right? Yeah. Um, I like to get a nice fresh piece, fresh filet, and cut the very top portion, so the area right below the head or the collar, right? Mm -hmm. And just salt, pepper, olive oil, sear it, flush side down, so you get those nice grill lines and grill marks, and then flip it over and finish it for another 10 to 12 minutes and and eat it just like that. Really? So, yeah, nothing fancy or crazy. Just let the the fresh salmon kind of do the work for you. There you go. It, it yeah. is a delicacy, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to, you know, just a little bit of fat replacement in from, you know, from the grill, you know, uh, uh, cooking off some of it with some butter or mayonnaise or whatever, you know, you like. And, and you know, there's no, there's no need to, to try to create a flavor because it's all there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've seen and made a lot of different, you know, fancier or, or recipes that have more sauce or this and that. You know, they're all pretty good, and I, I like a lot of them too, but mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to go the simple route. Yeah, you do. And plus, it's lots of work too. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Well, very good. So on on a trip this time of year, what should people pro, uh, prepare for? I mean, the, the clothes that they should bring and, and uh, you know, the, the things they need to bring in the boat to have an enjoyable time. So the main things is honestly dress, appropriate attire uh, for the conditions, and food and snacks, especially if we're trolling. Right. So, you know, trolling, and this is a conversation I always have with, with all my guests, right? And, and I get a variety of guests, <coughs> people that are local to the, the Oregon area, and then other folks that are just coming in from out of town, they're visiting the coast. Um, and so I always communicate and talk to them like, you know, do you want to learn new techniques or maybe, you know, the technique doesn't matter so much to you. You just want to go catch fish. So my point being in all of this is that people that usually just, you know, they're not worried about learning a new technique. They just want to go fish or trolling. Um, and trolling, it's a lot of fun when you hook up, but it can be a little bit dry in between. So, you know, packing snacks, packing drinks stuff to, you know, keep yourself full and occupied while you're waiting for that strike is always really good. Um, And then dressing appropriately, you know, for the conditions, rain gear, rain pants, rain jacket, layered clothing. A big thing, especially in September, is that it will be cold first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then by about 10, 11 o'clock, you want to be in shorts and a t-shirt right. and that's kind of what i do i wear you know jeans or a pair of fleece sweatpants with shorts underneath because mm-hmm. i'll peel those off and, and i'll be wearing shorts and a and a t-shirt you know for the afternoon um and then the other thing you know for me fish care is huge um these fish chinook salmon they're some of the best eating in the world they're wild but if that fish isn't cared for and kept on ice, um, it's going to spoil and it's not going to be quite good eating. Yep. So one of the main things I do is I have a cooler and I keep ice in the boat. And at the end of the day, you know, we're going to hang out. And I'm going to fly out your fish and bag it up. But I always stress to my guests, make sure you have a cooler. 
with ice already in it so you can put those fleas in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of guests, especially folks from out of town, and we go out and we just have a banner day and they got bags and bags of salmon and they're like, oh my goodness. I, I Even if they thought they were going to catch fish, they didn't realize it was going to be quite that much, right? So right. a couple 20-pound Chinooks, that's a lot of meat. And they don't have a cooler. So Ooh. then they're scrambling to oh, get wow. one and get ice and all that stuff. So, you know, pre-planning and, and taking care of your fish after it gets played, you know, it's going to go a long way for enjoying it. Yep. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Yeah. And, so and, I actually have – oh, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, and, and you're – your trips are very interactive. It isn't that you're just sitting in a chair all day long. I mean, if, uh, if things get crazy, I mean, um, I would imagine that, uh, you know, at times you'll have a guest on the net and you're running the motor and you've got a double or triple on and uh, yeah. it, um, it, it's, you know, it isn't like you're, you know, just sitting there holding a pole all day long. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy Trolling, you know, out at the river mouth, like out at the LC, at the LC jaws and whatnot, because A, when you're not hooking fish, you're looking at, you know, I've seen seals, sea lions, dolphins, whales, pelicans. Um, you have other boats around you. You have, you know, the waves crashing on the beach. And then also, you know, those opportunities for doubles and triples and even quadruples, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I'm, being honest, that's not far-fetched, happens out there right. more often than a lot of other places. So I've actually had a lot of instances trolling in early September where we're watching one rod get bit, right? And we're like, oh, yeah, that, the fish is on, the fish is on. And uh, I say, hey, okay, let's reel on our other lines. And, you know, somebody else picks up a rod. They're like, hey, I got a fish on. It's like that other rod was getting bit the whole time while we were all watching <laughs> Right, that other fish right, fighting. Right. So, yeah, that's always exciting. And, and you know, I have uh, I graduated from Oregon State with a fishery science degree. So, you know, I'm always kind of talking about the different fisheries and and the wild, you know, wildlife and the fish biology side of stuff with people. So, I always try and keep it pretty entertaining. Oh, that's cool, man. That, yeah, that is cool. How long are you usually out, Dylan? Yeah, most of my trips are in and around, you know, the six to eight hour range. Uh-huh. Sometimes a little longer if the fishing's slow or, where you know, the bike kicks on right at the end of the day. Sometimes a little shorter if we limit out. I know mm-hmm. a couple falls ago, I had a day where we fished 45 minutes and we had all of our fish. Oh, and <laughs> really? Yeah, you bed. know. <laughs> the people were the people were like, yeah, that that was great, but I feel like you know I needed to work a little harder, right? <laughs> like, yeah, just just take you know you got to enjoy those days when they happen. They don't happen oh, all absolutely. the time. So. Absolutely, yeah, but yeah, usually in the the six to eight hour range. Um, I don't do half day trips for salmon, so it's usually always a, a full day. And personally, I feel that just gives us the best opportunity mm-hmm. um, to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. So. Well, you you've been an absolute uh, joy to talk with today, with and 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 giving us all of your uh, sharing your expertise and your knowledge of the river and that sort of thing. Um, when it comes to the fall fisheries, um, 
you know, there's a lot of people that will go into a particular area and, and they heard that uh, fishing the McKenzie is a great thing to do. And they'll uh, call a guide or whatever and set up a, a trip and on a specific river when maybe they should listen to the guide a little bit more and go where the guide knows the fish are at that particular time. Do you, do you have that problem at times, Dylan? You know, every once in a while, um, and I actually get a, a fair amount of people that will contact me and they'll want specifically to fish the, the Alsi, you know, because they know I'm out there a lot and, and they want to learn more about it. But, you know, in the end, um, you can't, you know, if the river's blown out or it's just not the right time, or you know fishing is going to be better else, elsewhere, um, you got to listen to your guide. And I'll always advise people as best I can. Um, and, and that's one thing that if you book with me, I'm always really transparent. You know, I'm not trying to, to sell you on anything or, or convince you to do something that maybe you don't want to do. And I have a lot of groups where, you know, they want to go fish a specific river and I'll advise them, you know, maybe we should do this or that. And they'll say, Hey, I really want to learn this body of water. Let's go do it anyway. So, you know, in the end, I want to give people the best possible trip. And if seeing something specific is what they want to do, um, you know, we'll, we'll go do it. But, right. right. Well, well, very good. Well, um, well, Dylan, how do people get a hold of you if they want to book a trip for this fall? Yeah. So you can contact me directly via telephone 650-804. 5411 and you can check out my awesome website which was done up by a really nice guy that i know thanks ted uh, dggfishing.com um honestly just reaching out via phone is the best way mm-hmm. and usually my fall season you know i'm going to start booking up the really good days two to three months in advance right. and like i said you know there are kind of certain days uh, based on the tides that are going to be better fishing Right, And so definitely reaching out earlier is better to get those prime days. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, having the luxury to co- communicate with me and, and lock down the, the better days. So. You bet. Well, and, yeah. and just my two cents uh, growing up here, um, if people want to experience some really good fall fishing and not only, you know, to experience the catching of it, but just to experiencing the area and, you know, appreciating everything uh, that Oregon has to offer. Um, an early fall trip in, in the month of, of September is awesome. You, you usually have great, great weather, um, T-shirt weather in the afternoons, like what you were saying. might be a little cold in the morning, but uh, by 10 or 11, you're in T-shirts and shorts and, and uh, just enjoying all the beauty that uh, Oregon has to offer on the water. The, the month of September is, is one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's nothing better than ripping downstream in the slant at 25, 30 miles an hour and pulling into the port and the sun's out and you got your hat backwards and a big cooler full of fish and maybe some crab in there too. Um, and it's sunny and beautiful in, in middle September. Oh. Now that's kind of my, <laughs> that's my favorite. Um, you know, other months are great as well, but usually you start having rain and weather, um, and you have to deal with that as yep. best you can. So. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly, exactly. 
Well, Dylan, man, as always, I, I appreciate the chance to talk with you, and I always learn a lot every time that we get together and uh, just chat, and this is no different. Uh, making a bunch of notes here and, and uh, you know, just talking with a, a fellow uh, kind of mid-Willamette or mid-Oregon uh, uh, fishing guide is, um, you know, is always an educational experience. And, uh, you know, with you and your background and what you do, I, you know, we just appreciate what you do for the industry. Yeah, thank you so much, Ted. I mean, it's always nice to, to shed a little bit of light on our kind of niche fisheries here in the, the central Oregon, coastal central Oregon area. Um, I know some areas get a little bit more maybe praise or they get a little bit more attention, but, you know, we have a lot of really fantastic fishing here, especially if you're hitting it at the right time of the year. And, um, you know, I love to show people that those waters and those fisheries. Oh, it's amazing. It can be absolutely amazing. So anyway, well, Dylan, you take care. I wish you the best season ever. And we'll talk to you again soon, man. Sounds great, Ted. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye now.